What's up, everybody? Welcome back to the Tomatolito Boxing Show. This is Heck Callie, of course. I've been uh, I've been putting some episodes here together in the last few days after a long, drawn-out pause. I believe uh, it was several months that I was away uh, for for work. Uh, without the ability of uh, being able to record, as I explained in another prior episode. And uh, nonetheless, it doesn't mean that I checked out and checked away from the fight game or from the sport. I've been very aware of uh, both what's happening in boxing and MMA and some of the biggest fights that we had. And uh, and here we go. This is another big one that is just around the corner for us. And it is Canelo and Triple G. The trilogy between these two amazing boxers uh, is just a few days away. And, uh, and I would recommend, if you have a free chance, go back and revisit, rewatch the first two fights. I feel like we owe it to ourselves. And, uh, and earlier this week, I actually sat down. I will post the, uh, the scorecards. Uh, when I upload the, uh, the episode, I will post them on the Instagram page so you could see how I had them. And, uh, and I'll talk about them here briefly. Uh, I had a chance to watch both. I sat down, watched both, analyzed them. Uh, both was back and forth with, uh, with the commentary. Um, the DAZN commentary is a, a lot different. And remember, DAZN was barely coming into the picture around those years. Uh, very, very different than, um, than the HBO. And it was actually an HBO pay-per-view fight, the first one. And, uh, and of course you had Jim Lampley and his original crew. And it is, it, it's, it's nostalgic for me. It was nostalgic to go watch and to go back and watch that fight because I grew up with HBO boxing. I grew up with HBO pay-per-views, HBO After Darks, and uh, and it was very nostalgic for me to rewatch it. It was very refreshing, and uh, to to listen to those voices, those legendary commentary voices, and um, and it was pretty cool to see the difference between the two, and uh, and the fights themselves. What I started doing was I would give it a few rounds, especially when it starts. Watch the HBO. I listened to. The DAZN commentary, and then I would mute it. And when you mute, when you watch a fight and mute, and uh, and with no sound, I mentioned this in prior episodes. You can really zone in, and hone in on on the fighters themselves. You dictate the flow versus that of the crowd when they cheer for. For their favorite fighter after a power punch when it's a heavily favored crowd in the stadium or the arena versus the smaller represented crowd following the uh, the opponent. One's about to, one, one definitely overshadows the other, outscreams the other, and we know for a fact that it weighs in on the judge's mind, especially when a boxer tries to steal rounds down the stretch. The trilogy is about to happen, and I am very, very intrigued and very curious as to what we're going to see. There's hatred between these two. There's definitely vitriol, disdain, dislike, what have you. Even though Triple G doesn't vocalize it, he's got a chip on his shoulder. He feels that he pulled that first victory out. He feels that he has a point to prove, but he will not vocalize it. Canelo, on the other hand, in the last couple of years has become very vocal, has shown his emotions a lot more, has expressed himself a lot more. We saw his issue with Caleb Plant 
during the conference. We see what's going on here with Triple G, how he just basically calls out his BS and how he feels and, uh, and is very open about how he feels about Triple G and the Triple G's being a two-face. Very, very open about his commentary with BJ Saunders we saw with, uh, of course, that, that crazy exchange with uh, Demetrius Andre when Andre is uh, baiting him at the post, post-press conference. Uh, I believe it was actually the Saunders post-press conference, if I'm not wrong. But anyways, both of these fighters don't like each other. They have a lot to prove. And before we dive into the fights, let's just play the what-if game for a little bit. This fight's going to be at 168 pounds, which is Canelo's division. He's been fighting at this division for several years. He's dominated this division and dared to be great by going up once again to 175 and challenge one of the champions there, who's a hard-hitting young Beeble earlier this year and, and was beat. He was defeated by Beeble. Beeble retained his title. Canelo dared to be great, came up short, but still has every single belt. He's still the undisputed champ at 168. You have the WBC interim, David Benavides, standing by, waiting to challenge Canelo. He's been calling him out for years, but now he has that ticket since he has that WBC interim title. You have David Morrell, who's got, who in my eyes got, got thrown into that championship level. That's a PBC's, I call him PBC's Lomachenko because that's what they did, right? They threw him into a title fight in his first, second fight and wanted to have their own version of Lomachenko. PBC did, Al Heyman, and, uh, and have a young champion and have the, have the build up behind them. And they do, they promote him like crazy, yet his level of opposition has been getting better and he's been holding the regular version to the WBA 168 pound title. He's got a ticket for Canelo as well, but he hasn't been in with any big names. So, the WBO seems to be vacant. Andre seems to be, I believe, the last I read and last, uh, last that, I, that I was aware of, Andre was vacating the WBO title at 160 and making a run for that same title at 168. Chasing Canelo, of course. That would be his ticket to get Canelo if he got the interim WBO at 168. And if that is so true and that's holding, as from what I last looked into that matter, Janabek would be moving up as the full champion, full WBO champion at 160, a fellow Kazakh. If Canelo beats Triple G, as he said that he's seeking the knockout, he hasn't guaranteed victory, but he's seeking the knockout. And he may very well seek it by way of attacking the body. If Canelo comes out victorious... He will begin to line up his plans towards closing his illustrious career, but will definitely make a run at Bevel once again and rematch that fight. Bevel expressed that he was willing to drop down to 168 and challenge Canelo for all his belts, but Canelo is set on conquering a new division, and more than likely negotiations will play in Canelo's favor, and he will go and challenge Bevel should he be victorious this Saturday night against Triple G. 
Bevo, of course, in a few months' time, will be facing Surdo Ramirez, who's undefeated, who's been calling out Canelo, who wants to be the main man for Mexico. But it hasn't played out that part. It hasn't played out that way yet. He's consistent. He continues to win. He's got a lot of wins on his record. He's had an up-and-down career, especially when he had promotional issues. But now he got himself into a big fight that he's been clamoring for and calling for, and that is against Dimitri Bevo. He's got his shot. Let's see if he capitalizes on it. That's how we see Canelo playing out. He's victorious. He will seek the rematch. If Sturdo beats Bivo later this year, then you got a massive Mexican fight there between Canelo and Sturdo Ramirez. And even more so, you'll see Canelo chasing after that title because he'll probably like his chances better against Sturdo Ramirez than Dimitri Bivo in a rematch. That's what I see for Canelo in the future with the victory. With the Triple G victory, I see Triple G, after watching his last fight with Murata, he's 40 going on 41, I believe. He may be 41 already, but I believe he's 40 going on 41. After his last fight with Murata, he doesn't have anything else left to prove. If he lifts all these belts and becomes undisputed at 168 and is a unified at 160 at the moment, he could call it a day with six belts around his waist, seven if you consider the ring, which we should. He will be undisputed at 168, unified champ at 160. He could leave the game on top, putting another blemish on Canelo's record getting that back from the first fight and basically giving the middle finger to the world, to the boxing world, telling them, I told you guys, I knew I won that first fight. Now I just proved it. We ran it back and I just showed you all. I was right. He doesn't need to prove anything else. He will leave on top. Nothing else for him to prove. We jump back to Canelo. A Canelo loss, losing all the belts, coming off back-to-back losses in 2022. I don't see Canelo fighting again in 2022. He would sit out the rest of the year if he loses this one on Saturday. He would lose every single title. He's got to re-strategize, recoup, rebuild. And starting strong 2023. I don't see him coming back for a December fight. Maybe, I mean, more than likely I'd be wrong, right? Because he would want to get back in there. But three losses in a year would be very detrimental to him, especially at this stage in his career, versus two losses. And a back-to-back loss would be huge. And it would be, it would play a big role mentally for him. And he would probably start dwindling down in the career. Now, a Canelo loss, losing all these titles, would force him to the fans' advantage, of course. It would force him into a fight with Benavides. And that might be the one that I would see in December. Should he lose this Saturday, then in December, I would see a big Phoenix fight or a big LA crowd fight against a David Benavides, a fight that's been looming for so long. Why do I say that? Because... Let's just say Triple G wins Saturday night, 
becomes undisputed, and walks away from the game. As a unified 160-pound champion and an undisputed 168-pound champion, he has nothing else to prove. He could walk away on top of the game and shake up two divisions by doing so. By hanging up the gloves. This would create the scenario of David Benavides and Canelo. Rather than fighting for an interim WBC title, they would get elevated to the full WBC title, and that would be our December fight. A big Mexican showdown between David Benavides and Canelo, a fight that people have been calling out for. That would be the scenario I see playing out. Then Canelo would chase after David Morrell, who has no business being in there with either a Benavides or a Canelo. But they would elevate that fight to a one, to a uh, full version, the super version of the WBA title. They would fight for the full championship. Canelo, of course, I would see him with an easy victory over Morel. And should he be victorious against a David Benavides in this what-if scenario, now all of a sudden he's got two of his titles back. Then, of course, later on in Andre, and that would be another big money fight because of the history that Andre created for them too, and the Canelo calling him out for, for just wanting a big payday. Well, Andre would possibly end up fighting Zack Ryder, and should he be victorious and get that WBO title, guess what? The big money fights would be the future and the closing, um, the closing moments for Canelo's career. Those would be the last fights that I would see Canelo chasing after. Rather than chasing for greatness, he would go ahead and redo this against all these other opponents that everybody claimed that he was dodging. Then you got the IBF title. Caleb Plant's still in the picture. BJ Saunders, we don't know if he's ever coming back. Danny Jacobs is still out there. Uh, you got you got many fighters that are still out there. You got your Zack Ryders. Uh, you got many fighters that are that are up and coming there at 168, and uh, and that would be challenging for that IBF title. Caleb Plant, of course, is probably one of the big dogs right now and one of the favorites to to get his hands on that title or an interim version so he could challenge Canelo again. At least that's how it's playing out. But other than that, no one's really making a move for Canelo other than David Benavides at the moment at 168. That's how I would see this scenario playing out. Should Canelo lose Saturday night, he would rebuild, but this time instead of chasing for greatness, he would become great by taking on the fights that everybody thinks that he was long avoiding. This Saturday is no exception. This is a fight that people kept saying, we'll never see it. If he wins, you're beating an old Triple G. You waited too long, blah, blah, blah. This, that's what we've been hearing, right? And so Canelo took it. He's like, that's it. I'm done. Don't. I don't want to hear this BS. That he's too old, he's this when he just unified titles in his own division. Against a very game, very game Murata. Traveled to Japan and lifted Murata's title and beat him, stopped him. The towel was thrown. That's the scenario I see playing out. With the Triple G victory and a Canelo loss. With the Canelo victory, well, we just talked about it. And Triple G, I would see Triple G not stepping away from the game should he lose this Saturday night. I would see him return to 160. With his two titles. Unify with Eddie Slandi Lara. Unify that WBA. Have a big, big showdown against his fellow countryman, Janibek, for the WBO title. 
unify those three and line himself up against Charlo for the WBC title and call it a day. Three fights should he lose against Canelo is how I see him. Maybe just two because he already has the super version to the WBA. He doesn't need at Islandi Lara. He could have that big payday against Janibek giving him a third title should he be victorious. Now, of course, Janibek beats Triple G. Triple G would walk away, and the torch is handed over to Janibek as the Kazakh to represent that country and take over for him. But with a Triple G victory over Janibek, I would see him challenging Charlo, and that would be a great, great way to close his career, even though he would lose to Canelo this Saturday. Those are the scenarios that I've been playing out in my head. You let me know what you think, how realistic those are, but it's it's how I see this playing out. Now, let's revisit the fights, right? I had a chance to watch these fights earlier in the week, and as of fight one, we remember Canelo improving his boxing skill, not just going into the Cotto fight, but actually after the Cotto fight, it seems like he refined his skill and he became a better boxer, a more elusive boxer, and relied heavily on his counter punching. On his footwork, on his counterpunching, his head movement, his hip movement got a lot better. And that is a Canelo that was stepping into the ring here. He was going to make Golovkin miss. He was going to make Golovkin chase him because we knew that Golovkin likes to chase and headhunt and put his opponents away. Canelo was going to play into his game. That was the game plan. Tire him out and, and, and counter him and make him look bad. And that's what made for an intriguing fight. Like I said earlier... You watch the commentaries, the version that the zone has on there, listen to that commentary and it's very reactive versus the HBO original broadcast, which was more analytical and very, uh, not very biased, but you could definitely see the biasness as it switches from momentum from Canelo. They're very apt and they were very apt at that time and catching the momentum as it, as it would swing from Canelo's favor to Triple G. For the most part, they were very complimentary of Triple G's work and more detrimental or at least more critical of Canelo and the lack of what he was doing, what he was lacking in doing in, in, in the fight. Very different points of views. And then if you mute it, you could actually build a full consensus for yourself. And you're seeing in your eyes who's actually leading, who the momentum is favoring without having to listen to the crowd, without having to listen to the commentary and having those play a, a role in your head and sway your opinion. When I watched the original fight years ago, five years back, I remember being okay with the draw. I knew it was a close fight. I felt something told me that Canelo pulled it out. But when I heard that 118-110 score by Adelaide Bird, you knew that something was wrong. And you could definitely see why the robbery claims came. One. That's one of them, right? One of the arguments. Val validating one of the arguments. I've said it time and again in past episodes these judges with that provide such incompetent scoring, their job is just to watch and focus and hone in on the fight. And it's almost like they get lazy or zone out or I don't know what it is, but they're affecting lives. And by that, I mean the lives of the boxers that step into the ring who sacrifice six, eight, 10, 12 weeks of their lives, leave their families behind. And it's literally blood, sweat, and tears every single day. 
breaking themselves down, building themselves up, the, the mental preparation, the emotional preparation, the physical preparation to get into the ring. And then the fight comes and they get a half-ass subpar judge who doesn't give them the respect and provides a score like this. Not only was it detrimental to Canelo and Canelo's career because of the amount of criticism that he got for that, that people started saying, oh, well, the promoters are in the pocket of the judge. They robbed this, blah, blah, blah. And that's the finger pointed at Canelo. And by the same way, it affects Triple G's career because it could have been and it should have been now that I rewatched that a victory for Triple G and his career may have gone differently with the victory over Canelo in 2017. When I rewatched it, those were my feelings. And so I owed it to myself to sit down and rewatch and see if I, what, if it stood what I saw back then, if it was going to be the same thing that I saw now. So to not make it too long-winded, this is how I scored it. I gave Canelo round two, round six, round 10, round 12. I gave Triple G round one, round three, round four, round five, round seven, round eight, Round 9, round 11. This gave me 116 to 112. 116, 112, Triple G with the victory over Canelo. With Canelo winning that final round with his surge. Were there very close rounds? Yes. Do the judges see different things? Absolutely. And the crowd is swayed by different things as well. A lot of the times that I heard the crowd cheer were for Canelo's power punches. But several of those punches would miss or would hit Golovkin on the elbow. Does it mean that it doesn't hurt Triple G? No, it doesn't. It does hurt him, but it doesn't get the full effect of a body shot or affecting his ribs or a clean landing punch because it was partially blocked or fully blocked by an arm or the bicep or the elbow and therefore not having the same impact as intended versus clean shots. Yet the crowd would cheer for that. Canelo resorted to and relied on his counter punching, his hand speed, head movement, hip movement, footwork, and regaining momentum by power punches. He also implemented something that De La Hoya used to do in his heyday, which was when they heard the clap, the 10-second clap, the 10-second warning. On several rounds, Canelo tried to steal the rounds. And you hear Abel Sanchez telling Golovkin around round five or round six, where he tells him, you need to fight all the way to the end because he's taking these rounds from you. You need to fight all the way to the end. Because he caught on to it. It was highly skilled mental warfare between Eddie Reynoso and Abel Sanchez. Their game plan was implemented to near perfection by the fighters. And it was highly skilled chess at best between Canelo and Triple G in that first fight. I could see how some of the rounds were close because Canelo would land some really, really good punches, really good flurries, really good attacks, really good hooks in the first minute of the round and then would be ineffective the remaining two minutes. And Golovkin was consistently landing that jab. That jab for Golovkin, the entire fight became a disruptor, became a pace setter for him. 
It gave him his rhythm, but it disrupted Canelo's flow. Every time Canelo was going to get off, he would find that jab hitting him in the forehead, hitting him in the nose, hitting him in the chin, and he would end up switching his angle or resort to having to move back. Golovkin out-jabbed him, used the jab the entire time, and that's what gave him the victory, or should have given him the victory. The other scores I wasn't upset with because it was a 114-114, which means that any one of the rounds could have been a swing round. They saw a tighter fight than we did from their angle. And then there was a 115-113, which means the judge that had a tie, any of those rounds, he would have given it to Golovkin or Canelo. That would have been the decision instead of a draw. If one had 115-113 for Canelo, one had 115-113 for Golovkin, that that 114 instead of that being a a draw, that would have been a decisive two-point marker for Canelo. Then Adelaide Bird would have given the victory to, by landslide, by disgusting landslide to Canelo. Now, that judge could have had that 114 to a 115-113 for Golovkin, we would have had a majority decision for Golovkin. One judge, Adelaide Bird, seeing a landslide and completely, like Jim Lampley said, it was completely fictional, a 118-110 score. And the other two seeing it for Golovkin would have still given him a majority decision. So somewhere in there, that last judge saw a swing round that he ended up giving it to either Canelo or maybe he had Canelo ahead and gave it to Golovkin and it, it, it became a tie for him. That first fight, the jab was the key, which led us to the second fight. After long negotiations, the second fight ends up happening. A lot of disruptors happened, right? Canelo ends up testing positive for the clenbuterol. And uh, so that stuff happens, right? And it ended up delaying the fight, a lot of back and forth, a lot of criticism, a lot of uh, negativity, a lot of BS happened. And to this day, Canelo hasn't fully been able to outlive those those critiques of him uh, of years past. And that's where this vitriol and hatred for him and, and Triple G in between them uh, comes from because Triple G says he's moved on yet you know there's a chip on his shoulder about that and the belief that maybe he cheated on the first fight too and Canelo swears up and down that he did not cheat that it was tainted meat that he ate and people feel however they feel about that but he was cleared and he's continued his career and has done amazing things since then We lead into the second fight, and the story of the second fight was how Canelo stood up to the bully, stood up to the monster. Canelo, rather than giving ground to Golovkin, as Golovkin continued to walk forward in the first fight, and Canelo resorted to having his back on the ropes multiple times and and resorted to his footwork and trying to get out of the way and counter, on the second fight from the very first round, Canelo was not stepping back, but rather holding his ground or stepping towards Golovkin which disrupted Golovkin's plan and strategy. Golovkin is not a very comfortable fighter when he's fighting on his back foot and not a very effective fighter. So Canelo started taking control of the fight early on. And then he let off. He let his foot off the gas. In the second portion of the fight, just past the middle rounds, he let his foot off the gas. And Triple G started capitalizing and we had a re, uh, 
replay of the first fight. Kicking off around the seventh round. Where Golovkin was finding success with his jab. Head hunting, head hunting, head hunting. And every so often he would land that punch to the stomach. To drop Canelo's guard. And be able to land a looping hook to the ear. Or a looping punch to the forehead. Which he's known for. Awesome exchanges between the two throughout the fight. The storyline was that Canelo stood up to the monster. And to many the front portion of the fight is what weighed heavily on their decision that gave Canelo the victory at the end of the night, including myself. This is how I saw the fight. I gave Canelo round two, round three, round four, round five, round six, and round seven, round 12 for Canelo. For Golovkin, I gave him round one, round eight, round nine, round 10, and round 11. And this brought me to a 115-113 score for Canelo, 115-113. I thought Canelo closed the show beautifully. I thought he was in trouble uh, from that seventh round on, which is a really tight round. But I still saw Canelo do enough on that seventh on uh, that seventh round. If that round would have gone to Golovkin, which I was actually like, who did the most here? I'm, I'm looking, I'm analyzing, and I still felt strongly that Canelo got it. If Golovkin, if I would have given that to Golovkin, we would have had a 114-114, a draw. Both fights, if you're getting that tight of a fight on, in two instances in 24 rounds, this is just this goes to show you how highly skilled and how amazing these fights are between these two who are boxing at the absolute highest peak of the sport that the sport allows. Canelo stood up to the bully and started giving way. Those punches he exerted so much power, so much energy, and focused on the body, not so much on his footwork in the front portion of the fight, not so much on the counter-punching, but taking the fight to Golovkin. And it was evident that Golovkin was heavily marked, more so than he was in the first fight, and his body was something that was key, where Canelo was just concentrating on the body attack and it was evident that it was affecting Golovkin and you could see his breathing in the corners he was breathing so heavily trying gasping for air and he would still go back out and continue taking the fight to Canelo by round seven that's when Golovkin started turning it by round eight domination of Golovkin all over and it was like a repeat of the first fight where the jab became the story he starts throwing flurries and something that I caught on to that Golovkin did was he would throw these flurries down the line uh, and nothing with power it was just disrupting Canelo's flow making him go back switching the momentum to where now Canelo was forced to go on his back foot and Golovkin was able to find an opening by throwing three, four, five punches, even though they weren't strong, it had Canelo paranoid enough to where he had to be blocking or moving and that created several openings where Golovkin managed to land some huge punches on Canelo. Very, very smart by Golovkin. How do I see this fight playing out? I'm just going to say this. I see Canelo coming out with the victory. I gave you the both what-if scenarios on how each of their careers will play out should Canelo win, at least how I see that they would play out should Canelo win or Canelo lose, should Golovkin win or Golovkin lose. 
I see that Canelo will win this fight. He's coming off a loss. But he's been fighting against bigger fighters. Now, Golovkin, the storyline was that he always used to spar with heavyweights, with cruiserweights, with bigger fighters. He's always been a strong punching fighter, and he still has his power. However, yes, the age has to be a factor, and it was a factor against his last uh, last opponent in Murata. And we saw it, Murata, who... With the warrior mentality, Murata had the same, has the same, I have to say has the same um, issue that fight, oh, some of our favorite fighters had, which were like um, Kat Cetas or Churo Gatti, Mickey Ward, too brave, too gutsy for their own good. He kept coming out, he kept coming out, kept coming at Triple G, even though he was injured, he was hurt, he was damaged. And he kept coming after Triple G until his body just gave out and he couldn't anymore. Triple G headhunted him. The jab, the headhunting is the same Triple G that we're accustomed to seeing. And he's not going to change anything up for Canelo. And he abandons the body. He forgets to throw body shots. The only body shots that we saw Golovkin throw against Murata, same story. He throws those strong body shots to be able to bring the fighter's guard down and land his looping punches to the head. Very effective, and it's evident that Golovkin still has his power. However, the weakness to Golovkin, and it was evident that Murata hurt him, especially in round three and round four of that fight, Murata hurt him to the body and hurt him bad. And Murata is not a Canelo-style puncher. And Canelo has been fighting since his fight with Golovkin. He's been fighting bigger fighters. Fighters that rehydrate at higher weights. Fighters that are bigger punchers. Lengthier, taller. Walk around at heavier weights than Canelo and Golovkin do. And cut down to 168. Whereas Golovkin has stayed... At 160, he may continue to be sparring against bigger fighters and stronger fighters, but he's fighting 160-pound fighters versus Canelo fighting 168-pound fighters. One division, eight-pound difference. How big will that play a factor? Canelo went on to become undisputed at 168, whereas Golovkin has remained with the opposition at 160 and barely unified uh, this year. Canelo has gone on. Yes, we could throw Abney Yildrim. We could throw Rocky Fielding in there. And I could give you to Triple G, Sarah Mehta, and who, know, who else? Willie Monroe. I mean, I'm, I'm trying to remember who, who Triple G's opponents have been. And, and it's harder to say. But a BJ Saunders, a Caleb Plant, Dimitri Bebo, who he just lost to. Canelo, that is. Kovalev at that. It's obvious that Canelo has fought better opposition since the rematch with Golovkin, whereas Golovkin hasn't had that much activity and that level of opposition. Does that mean that Triple G will not be ready? Absolutely not. But if he managed to get hurt by a Murata, this is a diminished version of Triple G that we're going to see against Canelo. And if Canelo gets off those body shots against Triple G and the power that Canelo possesses nowadays, and he's able to get in on the inside, which he should be able to, because he's a more elusive and more refined boxer and fighter than a, than Ryota Murata is, 
if he finds success to the body, I think he may very well stop Golovkin or have a clear victory over Golovkin. If Golovkin wins, the what-if scenario that I gave you earlier is the more likely of the scenarios that I see playing out, which he would end up becoming king in two different divisions, a unified at 160, undisputed at 168, a slap in the face to his longtime foe Canelo, getting one up on him, and walking away would be the absolute best thing that could happen for Golovkin. Big payday, all the titles. It would be walking away with all the glory for him. I can't wait. Go back and revisit, rewatch those two fights. Let me know how far off you think I am. I think Golovkin won the first fight, 116-112. Shouldn't have been a draw. And in my eyes, I have these guys going in, each with the victory. The second fight, 115-113 for Canelo, was a little bit tighter. But I feel like I, I did justice by it. You could go ahead and let me know how you think about that. Uh, other than that, go back, rewatch these fights. You owe it to yourself and enjoy the trilogy. If I don't talk to you between now and then, enjoy the trilogy fight and I'll catch you on the recap episode. This one definitely deserves a recap episode. Uh, enjoy the trilogy and, uh, and let's hope, let's hope that we don't have any BS, right? Because with the draw, the official draw from the first fight, Canelo's victory in the second fight, should there be a Golovkin, should the fight end up being as tight as these first two fights were, and it ends up being a Golovkin decision. People are going to start saying that this was a robbery. It's a money grab. Here we go for the fourth fight. Blah, blah, blah. This and like, let's, let's hope that it's a clear, decisive victory for either party. Uh, either way it goes or a stoppage. Just one of those amazing classic fights between these two. All signs point to this being a tightly contested fight once again just because of their styles they're both going to wake up for this fight they're both going to show their best and this is highly skilled chess uh, at its best so with that said have yourself a great night enjoy the fight this weekend Thank you, thank you, thank you again for spreading the word about this episode, spreading the word, not about the episode, but about the show itself. The Tomatolito Boxing Show is humble, uh, grassroots, and I'll continue breaking these fights down for you guys and covering uh, these fights, whether previewing or recapping. I'm here for you guys. Thank you guys for all the love, for all the support, for all the downloads. Continue spreading the word, and uh, and thank you for tuning in each and every episode. Uh, I hope to talk to you all soon, and I can't wait to read your comments. Have a good one. Have a great night. Checking out. Salute.